Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast listeners out there. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast again. We totally appreciate you carving out some time. Mike Randall, Gus Kearns, trying to work hard to give you guys team preview series leading into the season, but we're going to change it up a little bit here. We were lucky enough to talk to Eric Fawcett of at Gator Country and at Press Basketball, capital letters for press, lowercase ba- lowercase letters for basketball. And Eric is one of the original Screen the Screener guests. So we brought him back to introduce the season and kind of start the season anew, just like we did last season. Eric and I talked some Florida basketball. You can follow his Florida basketball writings at Gator Country, capital G, capital C in Gator Country. And you can follow his overall basketball prowess at PressBasketball.com. And uh, if you don't give Eric a follow on Twitter, you're doing yourself a disservice. The guy is a riot. He's unbelievably entertaining and unbelievably witty. You can follow him at capital E-F-A-W-C-E-T-T-7, E-Fawcett7. Again, if you're not doing it already, trust me, it's worth the follow. Eric and I talked a whole bunch of stuff talking in this podcast. Again, we focused on uh, Gator basketball. That's where his uh, allegiance lies. And we wanted to get a full report on can the Gators repeat what they did last year. And we also talked uh, some of his Final Four selections and a couple of things else that he has his eye on. If you are a basketball vagabond junkie, then you want to be in on this conversation. We talked about off-ball switching screens on a four and a one in this particular podcast. So please, if you like college basketball or just a hoops vagabond, please enjoy the conversation that we have with Eric. Cheers, salacha, grazie, everybody. Thank you very much. And if you like what you're listening to, please don't be afraid. Follow the podcast at SDS Podcast. Hit us up with a rating. You know, Eric and I and Mike would all love if you gave the Screen the Screener podcast a a positive rating up on iTunes. Any positive uh, reviews will go ahead and read out on the podcast. So don't be afraid. We'll we'll give you a little shout out and a little ahoy. Thank you in advance. And if you like what you're listening to, hit us up on Gmail too, uh, sdspodcast at gmail.com. So thank you again, everybody, for carving out some time. Please enjoy the conversation with Eric. This is top shelf basketball uh, basketball stuff, and hopefully this gets you ready for the start of the regular season. All right, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast listeners out there. We are getting ready for the start of the season. It is here. It's upon us. We're going to have games played. We're going to have balls bouncing. We're going to have sneakers squeaking. All of that coming down the line and in front of you on your TVs. We've brought in Eric Fawcett from Gator Country and Press Basketball. Eric, thank you for joining the podcast again. How's everything going and and how's the start of the season going for you? Uh, Things are really good. Uh, I just wanted to say again, thanks so much for having me. Uh, I, I remember last season, I think I was one of the first guests you guys have uh, had had on your, on your podcast when you first kind of got it started and just to see how far you guys have come, uh, just really awesome. And, you know, I, I listened to your podcast this morning with Doster from the other day. So it's super cool, the, uh, the guests you guys have had and to see how you guys have grown. Um, yeah, so just props to you guys. But, yeah, the season is uh, I, just like the rest of us. Um, you know, if you're tuning into this podcast, it means you're a serious college basketball fan. So uh, I think we're all in the same boat. We're just – really excited to uh to see some games we're really excited to see the players that uh 
We've spent the whole offseason looking forward to seeing how they might make the next jump. Uh, we, we are looking at the teams that we kind of think are, are going to do better than, than other people expect, and you want to be proven right. And the teams that you've been telling your buddies are actually worse than everyone expects you want them to do badly so you could have bragging rights. I think we're just all, all there right now. Oh, without question. I, I'm totally looking forward to winning the battle at the water cooler as far as like, I told you so. <laughs> I told you this team was going to be hot. I told you that team was going to be garbage. Yeah, you want to win that battle for sure, Eric. And again, if you're looking to find Eric's stuff, uh, definitely hit him up on Twitter at Gator Country. And uh, if you're looking for a little further, deeper dive in what uh, Eric Fawcett provides, you can hit it at Press Basketball, Press all in capitals, Basketball all in lowercase. So again, Eric, thank you for the props. It's nice to bring back one of the first Screen the Screener guests. I think we can call this going a little old school, can't we? Yeah, I, I would say like in the in the timeline of what you guys are doing, I I, I am a throwback, and uh, it's Thursday, so we'll, we can call we can call it Throwback Thursday. I'm down with that. That sounds great. Oh my goodness! All right, so Throwback <laughs> Thursday, here we go. So it, it, we'd be remiss, Eric, if we did not start talking with Florida Gators, because that's where you're keyed in. That's where your heart lies. That, that, that's where your knowledge base starts and, and, you, and you, you know, extrapolate from there. So let, let's just dive right in. Let's just talk a couple, a, a couple of Florida Gator points, and then we'll go a little bigger picture. Give us, give us the thumbnail sketch on, on Kevon Allen. Like, how good is this guy? Is he going to blow up an average 20 points a game this year? Is he going to be in the running for the player of the year in the conference? Could he be in the conversation for a third team on, uh, All-American? Like, how good is Kevon Allen? And just can he take that next step? That's a really interesting question because uh, how good is Kevon Allen? I think that he's better than he even thinks he is. And he's a guy who doesn't always play the game with uh, maybe the utmost confidence or maybe the confidence that you'd expect from a guy that has his skill set, a guy who can – drill deep threes and has a 40 inch vertical and can dunk on guys. Uh, he's shown a lot of, uh, no, I shouldn't say lack of confidence. He plays the game with a lot of restraint a lot. And maybe that, that might keep him from being, uh, you know, you, you mentioned, is he going to score 20 plus? Uh, I, I think he shows a lot of restraint that maybe uh, unless that becomes kind of unbottled, which uh, coach Mike White has talked about a lot about uh, how he wants to see him be the guy that shoots a little more and, and pulls the trigger when he's hot or feels like he's in a good position. Uh, so, so that'll be interesting to watch because he, he's a guy that is, was kind of the primary offensive option last year, or maybe probably the secondary to Casey Hill, but um, definitely the primary shot maker, shot creator. Uh, but, but he's a guy that is, is, is very team first. And uh, that's almost, well, I would say that's a detriment to his, to his own stats. You, you look sometimes in transition where he's just a, He's this, you know, six foot two, muscle bound torpedo, but he's looking for for the trailer for a, for a jump shot where you might want to see him just take it right to the hoop and get an and one. So uh, he definitely has the skills to to be conference player of the year or uh, you know maybe even a, on one of the all American teams. Uh, he's first of all, you just look at him and like I mentioned before, he's just incredibly muscular. He's only six foot two, but you don't really. I mean, you notice it because he, he's short on the floor, but he doesn't play like it at all because he's so explosive with his leaping ability. You see that as he gets to the rim, but you also see that in the way he shoots jump shots. He gets so much lift on his jump shot that he can get it off from wherever he wants. So he looks like a six foot five or six foot six shooting guard in the sense that he really can get a shot up whenever he wants. And he also can really compete defensively, which that's the other thing you, the other question you have with the guy who's six foot two is can he defend? 
and he has great anticipation. He's very strong, so he's not going to get uh, muscled when he's trying to cut off penetration. He's a, yeah, he's a, he's a complete player, and I think he's going to be challenged to be the guy that can score 20-plus points this year. But uh, whether he kind of has the personality to take on that role, that'll be the question. Interesting. Uh, it sounds like he's the perfect Mike, Mike White player, by the way. I mean, competing on the defensive end, um, unselfish on the offensive end, and, and, and a good teammate. It sounds like he's, you know, tailor-made for a Mike White offense and a Mike White team. Speaking of tailor-made, Chris Chioza just might be the tailor-made point guard for this team. I mean, Chioza's coming off like one of the greatest shots what in Florida history in the garden in one of the, you know, the, the most iconic arena uh, in the United States or maybe in the world. He makes that, that, you know, that running floater and, and, and pushes Florida on past Wisconsin. So Chios is going to get the majority of the minutes now with Hill uh, out of the picture and graduated and moved on. And we know that Mike White loves to play his point guard 30 plus around 30 ish minutes per game. So, what impact is Chio going to have? Are we worried about him being slightly undersized, or is his tenacity and his approach and his grit just going to overcome any physical shortcomings? Yeah, that'll be interesting to see with uh, with Chioza. Uh, as you mentioned, he is definitely the guy. Uh, the only other true point guard they have on the roster is uh, Michael Okaru, who's a freshman this year, and he was kind of a uh, a high three star. Um, not the kind of guy you you really expect to come in and and you know command a big role right away. Uh, so so this really is Chioza's. He, he's driving the bus here, and for three seasons he played behind Casey Hill, who is you know a very high usage guy. So this is his chance to kind of show out. Um, you mentioned his size. I I do think that's a little bit of an issue, particularly in the way that he uh, finishes around the hoop. He hasn't done that really well, and what right. that's led to is a guy that has not a, he doesn't shoot the ball very efficiently. He's kind of in the low thirties from the three point line. He's not a great three point shooter. You know, he might have to start pulling up with two foot floaters like he did against Wisconsin, just, you know, in the regular flow of offense, but um, right. yeah, he, he doesn't shoot the three. He doesn't shoot the three particularly well, you know, he's maybe an average shooter from there, but uh, he shot, I believe, I think he just made it over the, the 40% line from, from the field for, or just for field goal percentage this season. But, but in the past, he's been a guy that shoots below 40% from the field. And a lot of it is because, yeah, he's not a great three point shooter and he doesn't finish well at the rim because he's really, uh, he's got a very slight frame. So uh, that, that would be one of the concerns with, with Chioza at point is just, it's a guy, he's a guy that doesn't, um, he's, he's not a score. Uh, if he could just, you know, get his feet set and shoot the three pointer at, at a higher rate, that would be really helpful, but he's also a guy that's going to need to find a way to be a little bit craftier around the rim because he's, you know, he's he's listed at 180, and I'm, you know, I don't believe that, but um, right, you know, that might yeah, be, that might be soaking wet, you know, with rocks in his pockets, right? <laughs> oh yeah, if if you see him, he's a yeah, he's a small guy, but he can really he can really pressure the ball defensively. He's he's crazy fast, and and yeah, you saw that in the shot against Wisconsin. That's what I thought was uh, was kind of one of the more interesting things about. Uh, that shot against Wisconsin was, you know, obviously it was great, but it was the fact that, you know, with less than three seconds on the clock inbounding the basketball, that they didn't go to Casey Hill or go to Kayvon Allen. They went to Chris Chioza because they knew he was the fastest guy. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's really a blur, and uh, he can really pressure the basketball, and he will cause opposing point guards fits. But uh, that, that's one of the, the – the people that are not as high on Florida this year, they, they do point to the point guard position. 
And uh, I, I definitely understand that because Chris Jose, yeah, he's a guy that, uh, you know, defends the ball really well and uh, c- can really push it in transition. But he's not, um, yeah, he's not one of the guys that's going to go out and find a bucket when you need it. He's not the guy that's going to be able to do, he's not, if the shot clock's coming down and he finds himself with the ball in his hands with five seconds on the shot clock, he's not a guy that can really find his own shot. So uh, that, that is a question there, definitely. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think your your scenario that you're painting there, where it's half court end of shot clock situation, like that's a little tougher. However, it's full court. We saw what he can do full court. <laughs> and you mentioned his change of speeds. I think that's one of the things that makes him really special is because he does have that like extra burst and that like top end speed with his top burst. That's the one thing that kind of makes him special. You'd love to see improved efficiency with the shooting percentages. Uh, so I, I can see where, you know, doubters or haters might view him as like a limiting player for Florida. But I think if you're uh, pro Florida and, and you're on board the Gator bandwagon, then I think his change of speeds, his tenacity on defense and his just overall competitiveness is really undervalued. So I, I kind of agree with where you're going there. Uh, Eric, I think I just like to give some props to one of our listeners. One of our listeners emailed us said, hey, who, what team are you guys talking about? I'd love to do a deeper dive on this team. And uh, his Twitter handle is at Fanalis uh, underscore app. And he gave us this rundown of Florida and how Florida and Mike White teams specifically have trouble with bigs. And he went through the yeah. losses to Vandy, went through the loss to Gonzaga with all of their bigs. And he listed all of these examples of, of, of the problems that Florida has had in the past season with bigs. What are they going to do to solve this? Is the injury to Abugnu like un- unbelievably impactful here? Uh, they lost Evan Robinson to the NBA draft. So what, what's the path that Florida can take to remedy this trouble with the opposing bigs that are really skilled offensively? Yeah, that is an awesome question. And yeah, you have awesome listeners. That's really cool that he said that. And uh, that was one of the kind of most bizarre parts about the about Florida season last year was that they lost to Vanderbilt three times. And Vanderbilt was a good team, but you know, for Florida to go zero and three against them, that was yeah, that was pretty wild. Uh, but yeah, so there's a few things that Florida does that uh, that have led to the problem with big men. Um, first is kind of the coaching philosophy that I, I can kind of understand, but they would rather have a big man go for 16 or 17 that have a guard go for 25 is kind of a lot of their thoughts that to try to eliminate three point shots by allowing guys to go one-on-one down low. Uh, and then part B of that is that they also like to get a lot of switches defensively. Uh, they switch very liberally. A lot of times they switch on the weak side. It's kind of confusing to a lot of, to a lot of teams because, you know, they'll make a, a two and a four will switch on the weak side and they haven't even set a screen or anything. But then when that, it's it's actually quite funny when it works because if they know it, if they know a pin down screen is coming, if they've done their their scout right, and a four is going to come set a pin down screen for a two, um, when the ball is on the strong side of the floor, the two and the four will just switch defensively. So when that four goes to set that screen, they can switch back. It's quite brilliant. It's quite brilliant when it works actually, and it's it's quite funny to see uh, sometimes opposing teams look at the bench to be like. Uh, that we already got the switch and we haven't even set the screen. What, coach, how do we run our set? But right. Anyway, what do we, what do we do here? Coach? It, it, <laughs> but, uh, but if teams, but some teams that were uh, smarter, like Vanderbilt did really well was they, they saw those switches and just got that, got that big man in the paint against the two or a three that was smaller. Uh, Florida didn't double down a lot. 
and uh, they got easy buckets. And there's there's uh, a bit of a a bit of a one-on-one um, defensive problem, I think, too. John Ibunu is a huge man, just a monster, but I, I don't think he defended one-on-one very well. He really allowed guys to get into his body where he put his chest right against the back of a guy that was backing him down, and that meant that a smaller guy who's quicker, because they were body-to-body, was able to feel like Bunu's weight, feel where he's at, and then spin around him, either to the baseline for a little kiss off the glass or just to their you know, dominant hand for a hook shot. And that was, uh, that was something that I think that Egbunu needs to just kind of look at some film and, and adjust because if he allows guys to go body to body with him, he loses his length and he loses his athleticism uh, and he lo- or his size, his, his opportunity to, uh, to adjust to these moves. And Kavarius Hayes, who got this, a lot of the starts uh, in, in Egbunu's absence, he's a super good health defender, but he is a slight framed big man. You know, he's 6'8 or 6'9, but he's only about 215 or 220 and He's another guy that just lacked a lot of the bulk to deal with, uh, especially that you know late in the SEC conference schedule and then the NCAA tournament. Uh, especially and yeah, going back to the Wisconsin game in the tournament, Ethan Happ just really dominated things because Kavari Hayes just didn't have the bulk to put up with him. So I think we're going to see a little bit more zone from Florida this year to kind of trap bigs and keep the ball out of their hands. Uh, it goes with a little bit of the other personnel changes Florida has. But that's going to be one thing they do. But I, I think they're going to have to start doubling down and maybe limiting some of their switches to make sure they don't have those mismatches. Yeah, it, it's an interesting philosophy. And the philosophy makes sense because of what you explained, where they're kind of ahead of the offense on defense with their switches, which makes perfect logical sense. However, if they keep getting burned by this, I mean, it's, a, it's an obvious weakness. So I think addressing it is... But they have to do something about it, so I'm, I'm intrigued to see if they maybe throw in a little zone every once in a while just to confuse the offense just a bit more. But I, I, I agree with you. I think the off-ball switching on screens so they can be ahead of the offense is unbelievably brilliant, and uh, the, the coaching staff is really ahead of the game there. So I, I'm, I'm kind of with yeah. you on that. Um, I, I coach high school basketball here in Canada. Um, I know you and Mike have both coached, and you probably have some coaches listening. And one thing that I thought Florida did that was brilliant that I also uh, have adapted to my own team is on is when the other team was inbounding the ball on the baseline, they would actually start instead of having you know their one guard the one, the two guard the two, the three guard the three, so on. Uh, they right. would already just go and they cross match already, and they'd have a four start on a one or a five start on a two because. You know, everyone knows when an, when, when an inbound set is coming, there's going to be screen set and you're going to be forced to switch. But so if you start your one on your one and your two on your two and so on and so forth, you know that there is going to be mismatches anyways. So why not just start with mismatches? See if you can get, um, see if you can get your guys back on their original check, especially obviously if you've done your film. But it was just another thing they did that I thought was really clever and also just confused a lot of teams because – you know, when a, when a one is about to curl off a screen from his four and try to get that switch, but they see that the four is already on them, and if he gets the switch he wants, then the one is going to be back on him. It's just, right. it's just really, really brilliant. So I thought it was just a really clever and kind of cheeky thing that they did that uh, I, I really enjoyed. If you're looking for college basketball insight, and you are, you are an absolute college basketball vagabond, like, like, you know, like Mike, myself, and like Eric, what else do you want from a college basketball conversation than, than that? Like we're talking about like off ball screens and switches. This is, 
This is the well, best. There's, there's, I, there's just some things that, like, obviously we, we know that college basketball has some of the best coaches in the world, but, but there's things like that that, um, that truly only the – that not you know, the casual fan is not going to notice that. So I just love to give, to give some shine to, uh, to clever things coaches do when I see it. I, 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 it's, it's not out of pretentiousness or, or arrogance. It's just like if I see it, I'm just like, man, that's a lot of thought that a coach put into doing something like that, and I just – I love to bring it up. Yeah, not, nothing wrong with giving some props to some unbelievably deep thinking and something that's borderline brilliant. I'm with you on that, Eric. Hey, give it, give us, uh, take us into the locker room, take us to the practice floor. You know, uh, give it, give us a little uh, insight into the huddle here. What kind of vibe and, and are you getting from this Florida team? Do you feel like that they can replicate uh, last year's success, where they kind of surprised a couple of people and took a couple of people by storm? Uh, do, do you think that they can be a top? The, the, the SEC, do you think they can make another deep March run? Do you think they can, uh, you know, are, 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 some people are talking about them as like a, a Final Four team. You know, give, give the listeners a real exact profile sketch of like what this Florida team is and, and, and maybe what their ceiling is or maybe what their floor is. Like what, what, what's going on with this particular Florida team for the 2017-2018 season? Yeah, I'm glad you asked because this, this year's Florida team is very different than Honestly, uh, you could go back to maybe the, uh, oh, I can't even think, maybe the 2007 or 2008 class, because this is not um, what you would call a particularly strong defensive group. And that's what Florida has done back to Billy Donovan's days. And uh, even with Mike White coming in, it was very similar. And that's how Florida made it to an Elite Eight last year, was, was on, their, on the backs of their defense. They weren't a strong offensive team. They weren't bad, but they were, it certainly wasn't a strength. Right. Uh, but then this year, and- uh, this year it's, it's very, oh yeah, go on. Oh, no, I was just going to say, and the Ken Palm numbers totally back that up. I mean, they were a top 10 uh, defensive team in Ken Palm like all year. So uh, the numbers and the stats back up that, that, that premise for sure. Yeah, so this year, so this year they're, uh, they lost some of their really good defensive guys. Uh, Justin Leon, uh, I also, yeah, I like that. Uh, I believe on, on your guys' podcast, you mentioned the impact of Justin Leon, um, who is just an awesome story that doesn't get talked about um, enough because he was a JUCO guy that – was committed to go play for Mike White and redshirt his first year at Louisiana Tech. And then suddenly he found himself starting in the SEC. And, uh, you know, and then that was his junior year. And then in the senior year, he was their highest scorer in, the, in an Elite Eight game. So I love Justin Leon. Uh, great defender. Uh, Devin Robinson, when he was engaged, was so athletic and so long. He was a great defender. Casey Hill, just, you know, world-class defender at the point guard spot. Uh, they were great defense, but this year they've yeah. they've replaced a lot of these guys with uh, with some really skilled offensive um, players. Now now active, uh, he redshirted last year with Jalen Hudson. He was at Virginia Tech, and he was a guy who who was kind of a he was a bit of a chucker his first two years at Virginia Tech. But uh, he's a guy who's six foot six and can handle the ball, has a smooth mid range game. And uh, I was actually able to watch him practice last year during his redshirt year, and he was you know he was the guy opposite Kayvon Allen and he scored the ball just like Kayvon Allen did. So I, 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 I shouldn't say that he's, I'm expecting Kayvon Allen production from him, but for a guy mm-hmm. who's a redshirt junior, that's a veteran guy who uh, scored the ball as a freshman and sophomore in the ACC. So I think as a redshirt junior, he's going to be a really key guy. I think he'll be kind of in the sixth man role for them, but, but he'll be key and he's a great offensive player. And then also they brought in a graduate transfer, Igor Kulikov, and he shot the ball 48% from the three-point line last year, which is just absolutely absurd. Uh, it wasn't Rice. So, you know, that's, that's a little bit different than, um, 
you know, maybe some uh, power five athletes getting a hand up in your face. But uh, through the exhibitions, uh, he played in the World University Games for Israel. Uh, where he, he shot the ball really well. Just wherever he's gone, he shot the ball. So do I think he's going to shoot 48% from the three-point line this year? Uh, probably not, but I think he could shoot 44 or 43. Uh, so he's going to be another really, really key piece. Uh, so you, you talked kind of general outcome. I, I totally think they could replicate the Elite Eight. It'll be different because they're not going to do it on their defense. They're going to be running and gunning a little more. But they, they're, they're a veteran team that's done pretty well. I think they're going to start, you know, Chris Chioza, who's a senior. Kayvon Allen, a junior, who we've talked about, is really key. Uh, Igor Kulikov, a graduate transfer. Uh, probably Keith Stone, a redshirt sophomore. And then John Igbunu, when he comes back, is going to be a fifth-year senior. And their sixth man is going to be a, you know, a fourth-year junior in, in Jalen Hudson. So they they have a lot of experience and a lot of really good kind of role players. You know, there's John Igbunu, just an elite big man when he's healthy and when he comes back off his ACL injury. Uh, you have Igor Kulikov, who's one of the best three-point shooters in the country. You have Chris Chioza, who's one of the best ball hawks. You just you just have a lot of guys that do really are really elite at, at what they do. And I think if they can get the pieces to fit right, they're going to be in the mix for an elite eight again, for sure. That, that totally makes sense. And, you know, when we talk, uh, you know, Mike and I talked like uh, uh, NBA draft and we talked about like unique skill sets and you have to have like this, you have to have an NBA skill in order to get drafted. But it seems like in the college game, if you're just, if you can isolate and really highlight and then uh, illuminate that one skill, that you're really great at, like you just did, like you, you, you know, you called Chioza, uh, unbelievable defender, uh, Kulichev, like this great three-point shooter, Abunu, like this uh, post monster. If you have one discernible skill in the college game, that's going to make a huge difference. And it seems like if Florida can marry all of these guys that have these unique skills, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's crazy for them to replicate that final uh, uh, elite eight run. I, I'm totally with you on that. I think it makes perfect sense to be honest. Uh, well, I, last yeah. question on Florida, and that and then we'll move on. Like you've talked a whole bunch about Coach White. Talk about Coach White. What his mindset is. What makes him great. How did he make this transfer from uh, Louisiana Tech into the SEC into Florida so successful? How has he made this transfer work out really well? And and talk about his, you know, him and his coaching staff and what they bring. What what's their approach? What what's enabled them to be so successful at Florida their first couple of years? Well, I think the first thing that was kind of interesting when he got hired was everyone was wondering if he was going to try to bring the play style that they had at Louisiana Tech to the SEC, uh, and it kind of made a lot of people kind of scared because uh, Louisiana Tech played extremely fast. Uh, they took the first three-pointer available every single time. They'd press you for 40 minutes, full court. Uh, and people just kind of wondered. They're like, hey, is, is that going to work in the SEC? It was kind of like, uh, you know, is, is Shaka Smart going to be able to bring that to Texas? It, where people kind of have that. When, when teams kind of play a little bit of a novelty style of basketball at the high mid-major level, can they bring it to the high major level? So, so one thing I thought that was kind of admirable that Mike White did was he just kind of realized that, no, like, I, I, I know that's how I had success there, but I need to adjust to, uh, to who I have. And uh, w- one thing that was kind of interesting, too, is the first thing that, you know, any coach has to do when they go to a new program is they have to kind of recruit the previous coaches, um, recruits, and, and try to keep, let them stay. So 
uh, you know, we've talked about it, but uh, we talked about a couple of these players so far, but that first class that um, Mike Weiss had to keep was Kayvon Allen, Chris Chioza, and Kavarius Hayes. And those guys all had the opportunity to leave because they were recruited by Billy Donovan. So can you imagine right. how different Florida would look now if he wasn't able to convince these guys to stay? Uh, they ended up um, losing Noah Dickerson. He was the one guy who left. He went to Washington and is playing quite well there. Good post player. Yeah. But that, but uh, it, it showed that, you know, if you get these guys to believe in, in Mike White just like that and buy in, there's, there's definitely a personality thing. Um, I think part of it is honestly age. Mike White is, is a young coach, and all three of his assistants are really young. Uh, you know, early 30s guys that, uh, that are very relatable. Uh, and you, you actually talked about something, uh, you talking about how they made the, ch- uh, the change kind of work well. Darius Nichols, one of the assistants, he actually played a really big role in that because Darius Nichols played college basketball at West Virginia, and he actually started with Bayline as the coach, and he was there for the transition into Huggins, which is a pretty wow. major, you know, it's far, yeah, it's, it's something that not a lot of people really noticed or knew about but yeah Darius Nichols was a guy who was a point guard who went to go play for Bayline one of the best offensive coaches coaches in college basketball and that's what he was going to play in college and then suddenly he leaves and and Huggy comes in one of the guys who's going to scream at you and and get you to press 94 feet and and defend the pants off of their opponent right yeah (laughs) yeah diversity there is crazy yeah, so, so that was actually something that Darius Nichols had a lot of uh, a role to play in, in uh, kind of just talking it through to players. Because there, there's one thing when some coaches come in and say, like, hey, we know this is tough for you. But for Darius Nichols to be like, hey, I played at West Virginia. I was playing Big 12 basketball. I was playing for a coach on one end of the spectrum, and I suddenly had to play for a coach on the other side of the spectrum that I did not commit to playing to. And I understand what you guys are going through, what questions you might have. Uh, we'd, we'd love to talk through whatever you're feeling, uh, connect with your family. So, so that, was a, that was kind of an underrated part because, uh, yeah, you, you don't always see that stuff, uh, stuff in the media. But Darius Nichols played a huge role in that. So, yeah, the, the, Mike White, obviously, he still wants to play fast. Uh, he, he bragged that he never once had a shot clock violation at Louisiana Tech. And, unfortunately, Florida had a couple last year. But uh, yep. he, he loves to play fast. He still wants to get – um, three-pointers up lots, and they did it a lot last year, even though they weren't great three-point shooters. It'll be interesting to see if they uh, still do still do that this year. Uh, they were pretty ball-screen heavy, which, you know, so much of modern basketball is. But uh, in conversations with them and also just in press conferences, they made it known that there's going to be a lot more action coming off the ball, and they're not going to rely as much just on screen and roll, uh, which which I think is, is a good idea because just basketball is just so screen and roll heavy now at, at every level teams are just getting better at defending it. And I think you just have to diversify because when you go against some of the best, the, the best defensive teams in, in the country, you know, they, they play Cincinnati in the non-conference schedule. Uh, you know, they're, they're not going to be able to just try to pick and roll them to death. They're, they're going to stop it. So, so getting a bit more creative will be, will be interesting. And as, as you may have talked about, I think they've been really creative in the way that they defend and, and other things. So, so I'm looking forward to see what they, what they change, but uh, yeah, they're, they're looking to, uh, they're looking to get deflections, get out and run, and shoot a lot of three-pointers, just like a lot of teams in modern basketball. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you know, it's a copycat game. It's a copycat. Sports is perfect for that. I mean, we, we talk about how in the NFL, everybody copycats. And, and in basketball, it's the same thing. And, and you, look at the, you look at the Warriors. You, you look at what the Rockets are trying to do with their analytics. You, you, you look at what the Cavs have done with, a, with just ch- not chucking, but like putting up a ton of three-pointers. And that's got 
it has no there's no reason why it wouldn't leak down to the college game and it makes sense that that the ball uh, the ball screen offense and shooting the open three when you have it and, and and taking layups when you have it leaks down to the college game so it makes sense but i also think that it's not bad to change. And you mentioned that Mike White is open to the change that he, the philosophy that he had at Louisiana Tech, and he's open to changing that here. And he's even open to changing it here with this particular team as opposed to last year's squad. So that, I think that's what defines a great coach. Again, college basketball listeners, if you are a college basketball vagabond, this is the conversation you want to be listening to. Eric, we just want to say thank, thank you so much for, for, for giving us so much time. Do you, want to do some, uh, do you want to do some bigger picture stuff next? Does that sound okay? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that would be awesome. All right, beautiful. All right, so we, we're, we're going to start to talk some bigger picture stuff, uh, Mike and I, down the line for sure, but why not include Eric in, in this part of the conversation as well? He's Again, he's one of the smartest, uh, best basketball minds that we're going to have on the podcast at any point during the season. So, uh, Eric, I'm not asking for a final four prediction. I'm not looking for you to lock it up and like, you know, absolutely like this is going to be what's going to happen and and, and we're going to hold you accountable to this. But like, what are some of your final four thoughts? What are you thinking? What are your tendencies? Where are you leaning? And I know that this is a tough question with, you know, part of the conversation that we had prior to recording was with this, you know, the FBI cloud kind of camouflaging the start of the season and, and it, all this uncertainty around it. So even with that, like what, just give us like a, a brief final four preview in your head. What, what, what are you thinking? What are some teams that you have in the mix at least? And, and which way are you leaning? Yeah. Uh, it, it's kind of funny. I remember I used to be so, so like anxious about, about giving final four picks. I used to just think it was so, uh, you know, my, my, my knowledge was so tied to how I could predict it. But but now I've kind of loosened up. I'm kind of like, hey, South Carolina made the Final Four. Like, you know, the a couple of years ago, you know, Syracuse I thought was awful, and they made the Final Four. So I, I've kind of loosened up to just be like, hey, I'll definitely let the Final Four pick fly. And um, it means I'm probably going to throw a, throw a few uh, teams that I just kind of ha- have a gut feeling about, maybe a little more than uh, uh, than numbers, but because uh, that's just kind of how it feels in, in when the tournament comes. But uh, I definitely like Arizona. Uh, they're they're my number one team to enter the season. Uh, I, I just really like the kind of proven pieces they they have back. I think they have a little bit more proven than than a Michigan State or or a Duke. That's just to start the year. Uh, you could certainly you know by 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 week two or three, uh, you know if Michigan State has, they could establish themselves as the best team, and Duke probably could too. But uh, but I'll say Arizona, and I you know maybe part of that is just kind of the poetic. I hope they finally kind of break it and uh, and get to a Final Four. Another team I I really like is I'll I'll just go to one of the other ones. I really like Seton Hall, and no matter what any like AP poll has or whatever yeah. anyone says, if if there's a team that has you know one of the best backcourts and one of the like the best big man in the country, I just don't see how you can't think that they're going to be a favorite. Like. How about like that? There's my analytics right there. Do you have one of the best backcourts and do you have one of the best post players? Because to me, that's a recipe for success. And, that, and, and the other thing too, is you, you talked about how it's a copycat world in, in basketball. Uh, we still see teams that win the championship and make it to the final four, have really good front courts as much as in the NBA, it's become less relevant oh. in college basketball. I, I, it's, it's still very relevant. You know, you look at UNC and Gonzaga last year and you even look at, Obviously, how how South Carolina was able to get there. Uh, I, I still think 
when these when the when the ball when the ball starts to slow down and possessions start to slow in these uh, late tournament games, to have a guy like Angel Delgado, like I, I just really think they're going to be able to really dominate teams. Two, Kadeem Carrington is just going to. I really like you know Seth Greenberg kind of has that term of a city guard, and oh, I just like he's, he's, he's just, very city guard. <laughs> he just he's just pot. You know Isaiah Whitehead was the same way, but yeah, you mentioned it. He just defines that role to me. He's just so tough. Uh, he'll get to the hoop on anyone. Uh, he plays with so much confidence, but uh, they, they, he, they're just winners. They, they just feel like winners to me. So uh, I, I have to have them in my final four. I just, I, I, I almost, you know, I'm almost too confident about that one. I just feel so good about them. I'm just going to interrupt for two seconds, Eric, and then you get yeah. back to your final two. We're Jersey guys. We, we, we love that you're giving the Pirates a little props here. But just to go back to your other point, the required big gets ignored every single year. Like people just look at the perimeter talent that teams have and they fall in love with that. But if you don't have that required impact big like the Angel Delgado or maybe like Arizona with Aiton, you're not going to make that deep Final Four run. It, it shows up over and over and over again year after year. So I'm totally with you on the required big. Yeah, it's just it's another thing that I do think um, as much as college basketball and the NBA are so different and, and, and are very different in in kind of fandom and the people that cover or that, that watch it. I, I do think there is still a lot of like golden state does, does things without a prominent big or stuff like that. I, I still, I, I think that, uh, you know, people who do watch college basketball, they just see that, uh, to, they just see that how, how important bigs are. And even last year when, when the SEC was, you know, definitely in a down year, but you still saw that, that these teams that, you know, they had three teams in the elite eight. And I think part right. of it is because, the SEC does play that grit and grind style and they have good front courts. And we've just seen that that is what is going to be successful in the tournament. Not, not exclusively. That's not the only way to win, but uh, you know, I, I do think it's a big part of, of what's going to, uh, what gets them uh, deep. So yeah, I, I think bigs are, it can't be overlooked. Very logical recipe. Very logical. So, so on that note, I'm also going to throw in Texas A&M. I, I think they're kind of my South Carolina of, of this year's final four uh, as just a team that I, you know, I don't think that they're going to be, a, I don't even know if they'll crack the top 10 of the AP poll throughout the season, but they are a team that I think is built for tournament success. Um, I pondered maybe putting Purdue in that uh, kind of mold of having, that a boy. So, so I, I, you know, so I'll put Purdue in there too. Those will be my last two, uh, Texas A&M and Purdue. I, I, I guess I might be putting all my eggs in, in one basket with, um, kind of stylistically the teams that I think will make it. But, uh, you know, Purdue is another team that I actually don't – it's funny, I, I, I just put them in my final four, and now I'm going to say I'm not as high on them as some other people. So, but I, I will just say, like, I, I just think that they're built for tournament success, and, and I feel like there is just uh, – there is a little bit of a difference between what's going to win you non-conference games early, what's going to win early conference games in January, and what's going to win in March. They, uh, there is – different styles when you watch college basketball. So, and, and the style that I think has, has at least recently really shown out is teams that have confident backcourts that won't turn the ball over enough guys that could hit the three and dominant big men. And uh, that's where Texas A&M and Purdue are both going to slide in. So those, those are going to round it out. I'll go Arizona, Seton Hall, Purdue, and Texas A&M. That I love all of those picks, and I'm just going to tell you right now, you and I share a similar pick for the Final Four, but we'll leave that for another podcast. Uh, Eric, we'll get you out of here on this one. Is there any player, any team, 
that you think is flying under the radar that's kind of caught your eye, caught your attention, or maybe like garnered some interest on your end that you think might blow up, explode, and, and, and really catch everybody's attention? Like what player or what team on your end through your eyes might surprise this college basketball season for the listeners out there? Well, I, th- I mean, I'm not going to be able to slip anything by, by you and Mike, that's for sure. But, uh, uh, and, and I know you guys have talked about this team, but I, uh, I, I have to say them as well as an underrated team, uh, partially because they have a Canadian that I love playing point guard. But it's Vermont. Uh, that everyone's, oh, always yeah. trendy, everyone's always looking for these trendy mid-majors that, uh, that can get it done and that's going to surprise some teams. And it, it's kind of funny. You talked about what team is going to explode. I almost hope that Vermont doesn't explode so that when they go to the tournament and then upset some teams, it's a real upset. You know what I mean? Uh, part of me wants right. them to go undefeated and head into the tournament, but part of me wants them to get in there as a 13 seed and, and, and knock off a couple of guys. And I think they could. Uh, you know, it's kind of – I don't want to make it sound too simple because it's more than that, but if you're looking for a mid-major team that's going to – that's going to surprise some people. There's kind of two, two parts to the recipe. There's, uh, are they a bunch of returning players and do they have kind of the stud that can lead things and Trey Bell Haynes and, uh, and Vermont and their seniors, uh, they, they're just perfectly, uh, they're perfectly set for that, for that. So uh, that's a team that you definitely, I know you, you and Mike have talked about them. So your listeners are probably all on the, on, on the catamount train and I'm just going to keep, I, I'm, I'm just pulling and I'm going to be one of the, uh, one of the crew on the, on the Vermont train, just jumping on the screen, the screener uh, Vermont train. So uh, definitely those guys. And then also another guy who, who did get a, a pretty good bit of publicity last year from a good mid-major is Chandler Hutchinson from Boise State. Uh, I, 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 I'd love watching guys. He kind of plays a little bit like, well, kind of like Kayvon Allen, but I love those guys that are just super muscular and can also shoot threes. Uh, I really like how uh, he, he echoed in a press conference something he uh, – something that his coach said in the way he likes to play basketball. And it was a phrase that he said was like the three love the rim. And I think that's a really smart, just way to play basketball. You want to like the three point shot, but you want to love getting to the rim and getting easy twos, getting layups, getting dunks. And that's kind of how he plays just a muscular guy that if you give him the space, he's going to drill jumpers. But if it's up to him, he's going to take you hard to the hoop, take some contact, lay it in and then knock down a free throw. So that's another guy. I'm just I, I'm really looking forward to play or to watching play just because he is just purely enjoyable to watch. Uh, I'm totally with you on both of those picks. Uh, as you know, I'm on the Vermont train as well. Welcome aboard. We'd like to welcome you to the Catamount uh, bandwagon. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. And uh, I, yeah, I think Chandler Hutchinson and Jordan Caroline at Nevada. It's going to be worth staying up late to watch those guys on the West Coast. I'm totally with you on that. Eric, we want to thank you for the extended conversation here. Thank you so much. Guys, if you are looking, and girls, uh, if you are looking for Eric's work, please hit him up at Gator Country, capital G, capital C. You can also check out at Press Basketball on Twitter, capital Press, lowercase basketball, and you can check out pressbasketball.com. Uh, Eric, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for dropping some knowledge. Thank you for giving an unbelievable Final Four selection and a couple other things to pay attention to during the season. And thanks for the Florida breakdown. Unbelievably smart, unbelievably intelligent, and unbelievably insightful. So thank you, thank you. Hey, thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, I hope to speak to you guys later in the year. And, uh, you know, see, see, I can't wait to see your Final Four. And uh, 
yeah, I, uh, I look forward to continuing to be a, a loyal listener on to the podcast as well as occasional guests. So uh, thank you for having me. That sounds perfect. Uh, yeah, let's chat a little bit later, maybe after the, uh, the preseason uh, tournaments and when uh, conference play is starting to roll around. Sound good? Hey, that sounds perfect. All right, perfect. Uh, cheers, Salancho, Gratulatia, listeners out there. Thank you so much. By the way, if you like what you're listening to and you enjoyed that conversation, uh, please hit us up on iTunes and give us a positive rating. Hit Eric up on Twitter and follow his things. Uh, thank you so much for listening to The Screen, The Screener, College Basketball Podcast. Cheers, everybody. I'm addicted to the appetite.